0: Welcome to Wheel Bearings, episode 152. Uh, this time around, it's just me, Sam Maboual, Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights, and...
1: Rebecca Linland from Rebecca Drives. It's just the two of us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are you doing, Rebecca?
1: I'm good, thank you. I've had a, I've had a busy, fun week.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, it's actually been just a busy day today, in fact. You know, we've had uh, yes. two... Two new vehicles launched uh, today that uh, we're going to talk about later on. But first, you've been driving some fun stuff, some stuff that I have not yet ever driven. Oh, ever? Never. Oh, I've never driven one.
1: Oh gosh. Okay. So yes, I had the opportunity the last uh, it was about ten days uh, to drive two Aston Martins. So I first drove an Aston Martin about three years ago. They invited me over to the DB11 uh, convertible or um, Volant, 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 uh, and over. But in the UK, and I said, you know, I've I've only driven on the left side of the road uh, once, (laughs) and they said, that's okay. We'll get you one beforehand. And I'm like, that doesn't really count. Okay. <laughs> so, so they got me one. Um, they got me one here in the States, which was they uh, a right-hand
0: drive one to drive yeah, over I, here.
1: I, I know. Right. No, they got me like a, an Americanized one. I, and it was a lot of fun, obviously. And then when I went over to the UK, then I drove one, I drove the um, left-hand drive. I don't know what I'm making sure Right-hand that.
0: drive, on, right-hand the drive the on the left-hand
1: side of the road. Left-hand side of the road. Yes. Which, it's terrifying. Now, fortunately, I was with the absolutely delightful, lovely Lynn Woodward, who actually I spent a lot of time in the UK as a child. So she moved to the States when she was 15. She's much more well-versed in, in uh, driving because she goes back and forth quite a bit. And so she really guided me through. But we had more of those crazy roundabout things, which are actually a lot easier because at least you can follow the traffic. Mm-hmm. The, the concern, the issue that I had was turning because I didn't know where to look last, you know. And it was it, just
0: when when you when you make right at here, the challenge is when you're making left hand turns, you have to look yes. to the right. Um, no, wait, you're making left hand turns, you have to look to the left. Uh, before you cross over the traffic. Yes. Over there, it's the opposite. You have to look you're when you're making right hand turns, you have to look to the right before you cross over.
1: Yes. So I did actually pull out in front of a tanker that I ordinarily would have never done. But yes. Yeah, so after one brief squeal, um everything got back to that me down. <laughs> so anyway, so um I've 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 gotten the chance a number of times, uh, thankfully, uh, due to some nice relationship I have with them, to drive um the, the Vantage Coupe a couple of times, and so this was the first time that I had had some time to spend uh at home here, you know, as like a, I don't want to say daily driver, but so anyway, so the first one that I had was a, the Vantage Coupe, which you know it's this really cool great looking little two door coupe it is truly a two seater there's no back seat to around a proper mess around. sports car proper sports car 503 horsepower 4.0 liter and turbo v8 8-speed automatic uh, unfortunately cuz i would have loved to have had a manual but you know did it, they offer it's, one anymore they do aston oh, martin okay. has vowed to always offer manuals yes so um Yeah, now that was under Andy Palmer's tutelage, which we'll see what happens uh, with the new AMG guy. But, you know, the car itself is just an absolute blast. I mean, it's it's small. It's you know, it's my my niece described it as nearly claustrophobic. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But oh, my gosh, it's like just a little rocket ship. Like the thing's unbelievable. Right. It's so much fun. It just it just goes and goes and goes and goes and and it's just it's it's an amazing vehicle all around. I think that um you know there was a couple of things that I had I was I was a little concerns I had. The visibility can be definitely tough in it. Uh there's sensors all around which help, but visibility is it's not ideal. You know like you and I have talked about a lot those high high belt lines, those really narrow greenhouses make for a fantastic looking vehicle. It does not make for a great vehicle to see out of, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's okay. The other thing that was a little surprising on this one was that it was actually, it was noisier than I expected it to be. And I actually met Nicole Wakeland, one of our friends, our colleagues uh, for lunch. And I had her go with me and she, she said the same thing. And I feel like I always comment on NBH, but she, and that, which is I, nice I have my second opinion on this one. Um, but it was just a little, it sounded like there was a lot, there was a lot of noise coming from the A-pillar in particular. Like as if wind the, noise? Wind noise, or, right, okay. yes. Yeah, wind, wind noise, very specifically. You know, the engine, of course, is incredible. It sounds just unbelievable. And there's two guys at the Aston Martin factory that their only job is to tune the exhaust note. And they should definitely get Grammys because they're just gorgeous. The cabin noise, the wind noise in particular, and I felt like it was coming from the A pillar. Nicole said she felt like her window uh, needed to go back. You know, It's like she kept checking to make sure her, her window was uh, sealed up enough. Now, in, interestingly, I did not at all have that same issue with the next Aston that I had, which was the DB11. And that thing was a really tight little cocoon. So that, that wind noise may have just been, you know, these are all hand-built cars. I, and, you know, maybe there was just a little bit of an issue there, but um, otherwise it was, you know, incredible to drive. I, the the infotainment system, which is not why you buy this car, I, it's really bad. <laughs> it's very clumsy to use. It really needs an upgrade. There was no Android Auto or Apple CarPlay offered. It's, it's really a little bit embarrassing, I think. For a car, uh, the Vantage, uh, the base price is one fifty two and change. The one that I drove was one hundred ninety two thousand. Um, I felt like they really the the um, infotainment system. I don't know who supplies it, but it's really lacking. And you know, and again, it's not why you buy the car, but it, it was just it was you know, in this day and age, you expect a little bit better. I, you know, I, I mean. What I find with the Astons is that there's, you know, they they are authentically driver focused. They are so responsive. There's such a feeling of surety on the road. Like they're really planted. You know, it's a wide base, even in this small car, the stance is so wide and it's a little cliche, but you know, the tires are pushed all the way, the corners, there's very little overhang. The proportions are amazing on it. And you just you just feel like you're always in control with that driving that kind of car. you just feel like you're always in control, but that was really really cool it's it's I always consider it a privilege to drive a car like an aston
0: uh and yeah i mean i would I would certainly consider it i you know I think we have to consider it a privilege to drive any kind of really ridiculously expensive yes, car exactly. like that. You know, yes. it, it, it's, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting paid somewhat, you know, for, <laughs> for the, you know, for the opportunity to, you know, give our feedback on these things. You know, most, the vast majority of people never even see one of these things and yes. happen to live in yeah. Hollywood or somewhere, um, much less actually get to drive one. So, you know, to have, have something like this delivered to us, you know, we, we can't, it's um, the word I'm looking for, you uh, can't take it for granted. You know,
1: no, that, I'm sorry. I didn't mean not at all. And when you talk about not not even seeing one, I Aston has built, I they've built between 90 and 100,000 cars. I don't think they're at the 100,000 unit mark. Yet.
0: Actually, I, I think they hit 100,000 a few it? years ago. Yeah.
1: Well, no, because when I went to see them, they were at 80. Because... Uh,
0: I, yeah. I, I, vag- I vaguely seem to recall them hitting a hundred thousand a year or two ago.
1: Okay. Maybe they've just hit it. So when, cause when I went, when I toured the factory, I, they said that basically they've built as many cars in their life in their, for their existence as Toyota builds in about 48 hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about right. Yeah. I, I, I recall when I was younger uh like you know, this this was back in the eighties, I think. <clears throat> reading that they at that time they had just built their ten thousandth car ever. Wow. Yeah, and this well. this is this is a company that's been in business for a hundred years.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like 100 and something now. Yeah. I mean, it's it is beyond exclusive. You know, this is definitely the kind of car that people come out and look at and ask you about and want to talk about. And when when uh, Nicole and I met for lunch, you know, somebody in the parking lot stopped and was like, can I just look at it? And I let him sit in it. And oh, my gosh, like it's like it was really cute. You know, he was just so excited. And so. It's really, um, it is, it's a, it's a special, it's a special brand and they, you know, for better or for worse, they've historically, they've gone bankrupt seven or eight times, right? And and what's fascinating is that most of the time they're actually saved by their owners because there is such a, a loyalty and emotional attachment to the vehicles and that's what the that's what these vehicles inspire in people and so you know it's just it, it they're they're really really unusual and and we have to figure out uh when you can drive one so the next one that the next one that i had that i'll just go over briefly was the db11 v8 coupe this one is actually more of a four-seater i mean it's i have my two, two nephews two. in the back it is i have my two nephews in the back they were delighted uh, my my small, young, four- and eight-year-old nephew. <laughs> yeah,
0: not, not, not the 25-year-old.
1: <laughs> not the 25-year-old. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's nice to at least have that as an option when you need it. Um, this one actually has the same engine. in it. it's, a you know, the 4.8, 4.0 liter twin turbo V8. The, I liked the Vantage a lot. It was tons of fun. I adore the DP-11. <laughs> it, it has this brawny uh, elegance to it that's just such perfection to me i just i absolutely loved it and both cars have uh drive modes that you can put them in so you can put them in gt which is brand touring which is a nice no it's not soft which i love there's still a feeling of emotion to the road in gt and then you put it in Sport and it just blah 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 blub, blah blub, blah even more. And then you put it in Sport Plus, and all you really want to do is go find tunnels yeah. like just to keep driving, through. <laughs> just because the sound of it is so incredible. So the the DB11, uh, this one starts at two hundred five thousand. The one that I drove was two thirty five. Um, funnily enough it still had the terrible infotainment system in it but it just this one was one that you know I just drove it and drove it and drove it and drove it because I just loved it I absolutely loved it again it has a it's definitely a bigger vehicle it's a heavier vehicle Uh, but there's a again there's just that elegance to it and that's I'm not even I'm not doing it justice at all you know it's the the both of the cars they're not daily drivers you don't want to be driving these things every single day running all these different errands you know the gas mileage is terrible we don't care if you're spending on and if a dollars if you
0: can if you can if you can, if you can <laughs> drop a couple hundred grand on a car you, you don't know, care about gas mileage. you
1: don't care about it i you know but it's just it's it, it really is just, they're, they're incredible vehicles. I, I absolutely love them. So the DB11 wins out for me. Uh, you know, if you can spring for the extra $35,000, i would go for the DB11. And, you know, from a corporate standpoint, they are actually, you know, the Vantage is a little bit of a disappointment. There's a lot of discussion about the front grill. It's enormous. It's very shark-like looking. I, and I get that. But I can also see why somebody's in that price point and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, pitch out and go a little bit higher and, and go to the DB11 because it, it, it's just, it's a, it's just a, such a fantastic vehicle.
0: Yeah, and the, you know, the DB11 has a little bit more of the, uh, at least what has become the traditional iteration of the grill. It's more like the the Astons that we've had, you know, since the early 19 or since the, since the mid uh, 1990s when the DB seven arrived Um, and to, to what you're saying earlier about the company being rescued by its owners from bankruptcy, the DB in the names of Aston Martins comes from David Brown, who was an owner that rescued Aston Martin from bankruptcy uh, in the late 1940s. And, you know, they, uh, they started naming the cars after him, uh, you know, all the way up, up to the present day. Uh, you know, they've all, there's always been a DB model in the lineup. And, you know, currently you have the DBX, uh, the DB11, and the DBS uh, along with the Vantage.
1: Right. So the DBX is their SUV that's coming out. It's been delayed. I, I did get a chance to to look in it, sit in it. There, there's been some reveals I, around and i think this is such a great vehicle for the brand because actually 50% of all their sales in china are women
0: wow i mean it's, yeah <laughs> That's surprising
1: it is and you know and and when i've when i've worked with them like at pebble beach i have i've, I've, I've um, done some informal judging for them and listening to owner stories there's always a number of women um, that I've interviewed, that own. Um, I was doing specifically the Gaiden where the factory is the Gaiden V8s. And there's always women there. Like, you know, this was, I, you know, I got, you know, one woman was a surgeon and she's like, you know, after when I finally paid off my lungs, I got an Aston Martin, you know, another woman was a cancer survivor. And she's like, you know what? I just went out and I had to get one. And, you know, she had her name engraved in it this is the kind of stuff that they do and and I will tell our listeners if you ever get a chance if you're in the UK and you get a chance to do a factory tour definitely try and get over to gate and they actually have a great music a little uh showroom as well there and it's just a fascinating a amazing place to be to be able to see uh things made by hand and uh Although, you know it's
0: they're not as handmade as they used to be though I mean when I when I first read about Aston Martin became aware of them in the early 80s uh when I was a a teenager um, you know at that point the Gaydon factory didn't exist yet they were still building all their cars you know in these workshops in yeah. uh, Newport Pagnell yes uh, and you know in those days you know in the, in the early and actually they continued building those cars up until the early 90s uh, at that time you know the body panels they were not stamped in stamping presses they were hand-formed you know literally yes. Everything was, these were as hand-built as you could get. You know, they they had a crew of of, uh, craftsmen that, uh, you know, formed every aluminum body panel. Which is why they built
1: 10,000 or less. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: every engine was assembled by hand. They had four four people whose sole job was to assemble engines. And, you know, this is where the idea of, you know, uh, uh, putting a a nameplate on each engine with the engine builder's (laughs) signature on it. Right. Uh, came from, you know, long before other companies started doing it, you know, they were doing it. And I don't know how, you know, how if it's apocryphal or not. But, you know, I, I remember reading that, you know, some Aston enthusiasts could tell by the way the engine felt and sounded, which of those four guys actually built that particular engine. You so
1: know. A, a friend of mine that uh, doesn't work there anymore, but it, but worked there for a number of years, he could actually tell who had done the hand stitching. He can oh, tell which seamstress from looking at the stitches. At the stitches. Yes, because wow. whether they were right-handed or left-handed, and then he got to know them well enough to know which seamstress did which car. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> so, I, uh, my understanding is that now the old workshops in, in Newport um, those are used for um, the uh, the restoration. Part of the business. Yes, yeah. uh, So we we did a tour of
1: right. We did a tour of that as well and saw you know one offs and just incredible, incredible. And we couldn't take any pictures, of course, which was a tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's it's really. I mean, you know, it's a special brand, and they've had a lot of struggles, and and more recently now that they're public, their struggles, as we talked about on a previous episode, with Andy Palmer getting the sack. Uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how they do on the DBX launch. That is absolutely the most important important vehicle that this company has had in, in decades.
0: Yeah, and that's that. The DBX is coming out of a new plant in um, Wales, I believe. I remember yes.
1: Correctly. Yeah. Um, yes. I'll get the name of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So, Aston Martin's, you approve?
1: I approve. Okay. Go, get, go
0: get one. <laughs> I'll, I'll get right on that. Yes. <laughs> I, on the other hand, drove something a little more pedestrian, but but still a hell of a lot of fun. I had the latest uh, 2020 Mazda Miata, and uh, I posted some pictures. I had it parked next to mine, you know, 30 years apart and yet still very much the same DNA. So this is the, the latest uh, generation Miata last year for the, actually for the 2019 models they, um, did an upgrade. So the, the current, the end, the current fourth generation Miata, I think debuted in 2016, if I recall correctly. Uh, and then last year so. they, they got an engine upgrade. Um, so it's still a two liter four cylinder, but it went from 155 horsepower to 181, uh, and 151 foot pounds of torque. And I was fortunate enough to get one that had six speed manual in it, uh, which was, absolutely lovely uh i believe that that is the only way that uh um, miatas should be built
1: that is that is how god intended them
0: yes That's exactly yes <laughs> um or or you know a five speed will do as well which is what mine has but, <laughs> yep. but, but you know six six is good um and I, it, the one i had was the grand touring uh so the, the miata comes in in three trim levels now the sport uh which is the base model uh the club uh, which is the more hardcore you know this is this, if you want to do some track day work with it or really press it hard on the back roads the club is the the one to get because that's got uh, the bigger it's got the brembo brakes and um, uh, strut tower brace and a few other upgrades to, uh, to make it handle a little better
1: why do they call it the club
0: um because it's it's the one that's intent you know intended if you're doing some club racing with it.
1: Oh, uh, okay. So literally, yeah. it's like represents the racing club. I'm yeah.
0: Right. So it's it's okay. the most hardcore edition right. of the Miata, and okay. then the Grand Touring is the more luxury trim level that it, it's got leather seats and things like that. Uh, but you lose you lose the um, the strut tower brace on that one. Not you know I mean for normal driving on the road you know unless you're taking it to the track. Um, you're not really going to notice the difference with the the strut tower brace. Uh, And the Brembo brakes are an extra cost option on that one if you want them. But, you know, I mean, this car is so light that, especially for, you know, if you're driving it on the road, you don't really need the Brembo's. Um, You know, like I said, if you're, if you're going to really thrash it hard on the track or even on back roads, then the Brembo's are great. Uh, You know, extra uh, uh, thermal capacity, always a good thing, but you know, I drove this thing around and just had a blast with it, just as I've had with every
1: Miata. I had one last year that, and my also had a manual. I think they. I'm hoping that they only put manuals in the fleet, right?
0: Uh, no, there there are some automatics in the fleet. Okay, right. mine was the convertible.
1: Mine was the convertible RF.
0: Okay, so the, that's the retractable hard top or
1: okay. semi
0: retractable hard top.
1: Yeah, that yeah. So this was the soft was top. All sorts of fun. Yeah. I mean it's just there's there it's such a purest car. I love that.
0: Well the the soft top is really the purest one. The the right, RF yes. is not quite as
1: pure. No, no, but the Miata in general. Yes. <laughs> oh
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, you know, and the you know the soft top, this is this is the best soft top in the world. You know, there's a single latch, you know, right on the windshield header, press a button, pop it back and push it down, and you're done. You know, five seconds a, and you're awesome. you're done. And then, you know, if it starts to rain or something, you want to put it up or you just want to park it with the top up, you know, just press the latch right over your shoulder, pull it up, twist it, and you're you're done. You know, very, very simple. Uh, it. It's it's great. You know, and you know, the the thing, the thing about this Miata compared to um the ones uh, you know, or at least compared to mine, you know, for example. Uh, you know, contemporary Mazdas, you know, we've we've talked about this with all the other Mazda models, you know at their, at their relative price points, you know, they have probably the most premium feeling interiors you're going to find anywhere, yes. um, you know, in, in their price segments. And the same applies to the, to the Miata, you know, the one I had um, was the Grand Touring, you know, with, with a, a bunch of options on it and with the delivery charge came to $32,790. So $33,000. Yeah. And you know, this, you know, this feels, you know, it feels so nice. You know, you've got really great fit and finish, great materials in it, you know, but it still feels like a Miata, you know, like like a proper sports car, Roadster, you know, very elemental, you know, whereas mine, you know, I mean, for its time, you know, in 1990, you know, it was more hard plastics, you know, you didn't find materials like this in a car at that price point. In 1990, um, right. so yeah, you know, and it's funny, you know, driving mine and the new one back to back, you know, it's still, it is raw, you know, and it, it, you know, they, they both feel very similar in a lot of ways, but you know, mine, you know, again, going back 30 years, you know, the way vehicles were built, the structures were not as solid. Mine feels almost delicate by comparison. Mm. You know, uh, you, you close the doors, it doesn't have that really solid feel and you know and the you know the belt line the new one is a little bit higher than on mine uh so yeah, you feel like yours you're seeing,
1: yours like i remember like oh, i felt like my shoulders were out of the car
0: yeah they, right? they are. <laughs> my, mine are when i'm driving it my shoulders are definitely out of the car yeah. and that's not the case with with the the new generation ones um but you know you still when you put that top down you know you still have that perfect 360 uh, degree visibility you know, and the new one feels so solid, um, you know, and it, it feels like it could actually survive if you hit something, whereas mine, <laughs> not so much. Um, not, not as bad as, you know, I think, you know, if, if you crash tested my Miata and Todd Lassa's um, Sprite, um, you know, I mean, it would be no contest. Mine, mine would definitely win, but com- compare mine to the new, to the new generation, totally different story. You could, you know, you could feel safe driving the, the new one. Right. Um, and you know, if you go for the base sport trim, um, or, let me find that tab again here. The sport trim starts <laughs> with a manual transmission at 26, 580, um, 900 bucks for the destination charge. So 27, 27 and a half, you know, out the door
1: That's awesome Or a
0: base one. And you're getting the exact same powertrain, you know, yeah. as what's in the club or the grand touring, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's a, it's a great bargain. If what you want, is a really fun to drive sports car, you know, that you can you can put the top down and just go anywhere. You know, it's it's fantastic. You cannot beat a Miata. You know, there's, there's a reason why they came up with the the retro nym, you know, for Miata. You know, Miata is always the answer, you know, to, to any question about what should I buy?
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah no, I think it's there, I love that kind of purist vehicle too. Like its only job is to drive well. Yes. You know, it's, 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 there's nothing utilitarian about that. And in the land of SGVs, it's really fun to get into a car like that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, certainly, you know, you're not going to be taking, you know, any, a family anywhere in this thing. I mean, my, the Miata is perfectly sized for myself, my wife and our dog.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and
0: we have a small dog. So, you know, that that it's, but you know, I just love driving Miatas. You know, every Miata I've ever driven has been so amazing to drive, and with that extra bit of power that it's got now—that you know, 181 horsepower now. Yeah, you know, it's it's just got that extra thrust that that really, um, you know, it, it's just it's just exactly what it needed. You know, I think a few years ago when the Fiat 124 came out, and the 124 is is based on the Miata. Uh, Fiat FCA did a deal with Mazda. Uh, to rebadge the Miata, so the 124 has got <clears throat> different different body work on it. The interior is exactly the same, except for the Fiat badges. Um, but you know, it, because with the extra body work, it ends up weighing about 100 pounds more than the Miata. You
1: feel that?
0: You you do feel it. But at the time, you know, the the Fiat was the only one. You know, they had the turbocharged 1.4 liter in there in it. I think it's about 176 horsepower and more torque. So it felt a little stronger than the Miata did. So, um, you know, in terms of handling, you definitely feel that extra 100 pounds because, you know, you're talking about a car that starts at 2,300 pounds and you're going to 24. So that makes a, makes a no, more noticeable difference. Right. Um, mine is only 2,100 pounds. Uh, but, you know, for, oh gosh. for, for, for a modern, <laughs> you know, for a 21st century car, you know, 2,300 pounds is remarkably light. Yes. Um, and now, you know, with the, the engine upgrade, yeah, you know, there's no reason at all to buy the fiat anymore.
1: Yeah. No, that's true. I remember I had the fiat as well. And it was still fun. It was a great car. I love the looks of it, but it it didn't drive exactly the same. It was definitely a different feeling to it. And I preferred I preferred the Miata. I thought it was just, just that much more fun. It yeah. was just something really um, and I just, I love the purity of it. You know, it's very authentic. They haven't changed it dramatically from generation to generation. It's still like you're 30, as you say, you're a 30 year old Mazda. The Miata stands up pr- you, proudly next yeah, to the brand you, new you can, one.
0: You feel, you, you know, you feel that same DNA in those two cars.
1: Right. Absolutely. You know, uh,
0: you know, aside from the improved body structure, you know, the other, main differences are you know you've got a, a lined top uh, right. you know instead of you know an unlined top and um what was the other thing i can't remember now it doesn't well, there's,
1: matter there's probably I mean, there's some more safety features and there's more regulations yeah, you, get airbags so, you, know, and, you know right and things like airbags that on
0: both sides but no
1: i think it's, it's fantastic that's yeah. awesome
0: with that out of the way let's move on today was as we mentioned earlier it was a busy day there was two uh, product introductions. Uh, the first was a vehicle that was supposed to show up at the New York Auto Show, which uh, in April, which uh, obviously didn't happen. Um, and then the second was scheduled to debut at the Detroit Auto Show this, or last week, uh, which also, for reasons we don't need to <laughs> get into, didn't happen. <laughs> um, and there's actually going to be several more product introductions over the next several weeks. But uh, let's start off with the Nissan Rogue, the 2021 Nissan Rogue. And we both saw the um online introductions of both of the, the vehicles we're going to talk about. What'd you think of the rogue?
1: So I've really liked the way the rogue looks. I think that it has more personality. Well, more, but it has more personality than the previous version of it for sure. And you know, this segment is really, really tough because there's a this is a, a compact SUV. There's a lot of competition in this segment. It's a it's the buyer doesn't always want a ton of personality in their car. This is kind of you know you that that read in term of like it's an appliance like it's kind of like my, this is the way I get from A to B. but I feel like especially on the front end, they've done a really good job of introducing a new I think it's a new design language. It's
0: it's an updated version. It's an updated
1: version of it. Right. But um, you know, I think the headlamps are really cool. I just I think it looks really good. I'll be really curious to see what it looks like in person. Um, but I think there's a lot of personality to it. It looks pretty modern and and very sharp lines. And I I liked it. I think it looks cool. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean this this segment, the compact crossover is, you know, aside from um, you know, full-size pickup trucks, which obviously rule the roost in, in North America. You know, this is the segment that has supplanted um, uh, midsize sedans as the biggest mainstream segment in the U.S., you know, where, you know, for 20-odd years, the Toyota Camry was the best-selling car in North America, in, U- in U.S., and now it's the RAV4. The RAV4 sold, you know, over 400,000 units last year. Uh, and the Rogue in 2018 sold 412,000 units, uh, dropped off to 350,000 last year. But, you know, this is, this is an enormous segment. And it's, there's a lot of competition in this segment. You've got the RAV4, the Honda CRV, the Ford Escape, the Hyundai Tucson, um, the Kia Sportage, the, the, yeah. the Chevy Equinox. You know, even, even the Equinox, which most people never Escape. even think about anymore. Right. Yeah, I mentioned this game. Oh, sorry, Even the Equinox, which hardly anybody thinks about, you know, right. sold three hundred and fifty thousand units it's last year.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, I mean it's it's an enormous product segment, and it's, it's a really you know it's really competitive.
1: It and is an everyman car. You know, that's yeah, not, it's, it a, is. it's 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 got something for everybody. It's the right size. If you're a young family, if you're single, if you're an empty nester, it it has so much utility and so much flexibility. And so it's 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 really hard to kind of stick out from the crowd in some ways because and, and especially because the competition just keeps getting better and better. They're they're making them more premium feeling and looking, and they're just they're you know it's 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 just an incredibly incredibly competitive segment. Yeah,
0: you know, when I when I first saw the the pictures of the uh, rogue last week <clears throat> ahead of the uh, the background briefing that we got yeah. uh, before the reveal today uh you know i looked at it and you know it's immediately recognizable as a rogue you know if you've sure. seen the the current generation rogue you will immediately recognize this as the new rogue you know yes sharper lines uh you know but you know the proportions are very similar uh you know especially the 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 side glass shape you know the way it kicks up at the back right it's it's totally a rogue um so my question to you is you know does it stand out enough? Especially, you know, they talked about during the briefing, you know, they talked about how this was inspired by the cross motion concept that they showed in Detroit two years yes. ago. And, you know, I included a, a, an, a photo of the cross motion in my story on Forbes. And, yes, there is some inspiration there. But, you know, that, that concept went so much farther than this does. You know, this is really toned back from that concept.
1: Yeah, but again, I feel like, first of all, I think it's, I like the front end a lot. I think it looks really good. You know, I just had the Honda CRV hybrid that I talked about uh, um, previous episode. And, you know, just comparing the two, I'm leaning a bit actually towards the Rogue in terms of certainly evolutionary styling. I think that You know, when you think back years ago, the Nissan Murano, when that came out, it may have been almost polarizing in some ways, but that design was, I think the original Murano was really beautiful. Like it was very, very, there was was a lot of personality to it. And I feel like Nissan kind of lost their way a little bit from a design standpoint that like the quest was just too weird. You know, like there was, they sort of went too far over. So I think that with the Rogue, I think this is that right balance of it has enough personality for those shoppers that want that in their vehicle, but it doesn't have too much that is going to be polarizing or alienating. Maybe some people will consider the headlamps because they do sit kind of high up, but again, like they're not like like how weird the Juke was, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that Juke was. That's not okay. <laughs> that
0: was that thing was hideous. It,
1: <laughs> it drove great. It was a blast oh, to drive. Oh my gosh! What what am, it, what, what am I? it was. Yeah. You
0: know, it, it burned my eyes.
1: It was not okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that you know I think that the Rogue does that. It it's 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 interesting enough to for people to realize that it's new that it's different but I don't think that it's so weird that they're going to look and say, Oh my gosh, you know, that's not, that's not good. So I liked it.
0: Do you, do you think it's enough to grab people's attention away from the I, rest of the segment?
1: Uh, well, that's the biggest challenge, right? I mean, I do think that um they, they really need to do a better, you know, advertising is so important in, in this kind of way to to remind people like what what it is that makes Nissan different. So, you know, their their propilot assist, I think is really, really cool. And they need to, they need to work on their on their messaging of like what they have and what and why how is it how is this different than than a CRV or why should you buy this instead? I mean, that's all marketing in my
0: mind. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the pro assist, you know, this is one of the, the things that they did upgrade this year. Um, so it's got a new generation of it. It <clears throat> something they call it, with Navi link. Um, so what it's doing is it's using the map data, the navigation map data uh, to, uh, as an input to ProPilot. So So uh, it's not, it's not quite to the level of what Tesla claims with their navigate on autopilot system where um, you know you can set a destination and when you're on the highway it will automatically take you know an interchange you know to go from one highway to another but what it does do is like what uh, GM does with super cruise it looks ahead down the road at the curvature of or you know the, the radius of curves coming up on the road and it will automatically adjust your set speed. So if you're coming up to a curve that's a little too tight for the speed you're going at, it'll automatically reduce your speed a little bit so you can get through that curve safely and stay in the, you know, it'll keep it in the lane and then resume your speed afterwards. Similarly, um, you know, if you're going from one highway to another, you know, and you, you get off on a ramp, it will, when you move off onto the off ramp, it will automatically lower your speed. It won't take you off, you know off the road to the ramp but when you do that manually it, when you steer over there it'll lower your speed until you get back onto the other highway and merge on then it'll resume your previous speed um and it's got speed limit assist so it'll read the signs uh for speed limits and make those adjustments automatically as well so it's got some it's, you know it's got some definite upgrades to it um compared to what they had before uh longer range uh sensing for the the radar and the camera uh and you know various other improvements to the software so it's it's definitely should be an upgrade um but from a from a design standpoint one other thing i wanted to mention one of the things that they they highlighted during the the presentation was you know the what they call the the floating roof design, and this is a theme that Nissan's had for the last several years since the current generation Murano came out. You know where, but it's typically been you know at the C pillar. You know they'll put a black insert there to give this look of you know the the back of the roof floating above the rest of the car. In this case, they did the reverse of that. So they blacked out the A pillars, and so you have a solid C pillar. You blacked out they blacked out the A pillars. So the roof looks like it's floating at the front, um, but in addition to that, they also adopted the uh, the two tone roof option that they have on the Kicks. Uh, so you can get a couple of different color combinations of uh, lower body color and different different roof colors, like you can on the Kicks.
1: I th- I think it looks really cool. I like that. It sort of reminds me of um, the Star Trek Enterprise. Like where that the top part kind of juts out. Like if you look at the, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if you look at it from the saucer side, section, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it has this. It, I mean, it 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 does. It has a very architectural feel to it, and you know, I like that. I think that's really cool. I mean, yeah, I, no, it's it's a good look. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's neat.
0: And the you know the the one other thing that did bother me about this. Is that you know coming out this year in 2021? Um, there's only one powertrain option. It's an upgraded yes. version of their, their 2.5 liter four-cylinder now with direct injection. Yeah. So I think it's 188 horsepower, if I recall. Um, which is you know that's that's fine. You know I mean that's it's certainly competitive with most of the rest of the segment. There's no uh, V6 or tur- you know larger turbo four-cylinder option. Um, you know, so you don't have anything that's going to go up against like the two liter EcoBoost and the Escape or, or anything like that. But what they, for, for reasons that is, that I don't understand, they've opted not to have an electrified powertrain option. So there's no hybrid option available.
1: Which is and, really short sighted considering this heavy competition and others do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you look at, especially Toyota, um, yes. you know, the, the RAV4, you know, is the top selling vehicle in this segment now, you know, 412,000 units, I think last year and a hundred thousand of those were hybrids. Wow. The RAV4 hybrid was the best selling Toyota hybrid last year, way outselling the Prius now. Um, you know, one in four, um, RAVs and sold in the U S last year were hybrids and, you know, Ford is selling a lot of escape hybrids. Uh, I don't know, you know, the, the, um, CRV hybrid's only been on sale for a short time, so we don't have any numbers on that yet. But, you know, increasingly, you know, everybody's offering hybrid, and in the case of both Ford and Toyota, plug-in hybrids as well. You know, so, you know, Dan and I talked about this on the last episode, you know, the the Ford Escape plug-in hybrid, you know, got its EPA ratings. It gets 37 miles of electric range on a charge. And the RAV4 plug-in is going to get 42, you know. And you know, no, no hybrid option at all for the rogue, which I think I think is going to be a mistake.
1: Well, I think it, it will. It, it's certainly not going to draw more buyers to them because they'll have competition. So people that are looking for a hybrid will immediately discount them, right, and go someplace else. Now, historically, hybrid sales have been very, very small percentage of the general market but as you say again this type of vehicle this size vehicle is is for a practical utility oriented consumer that is you know where fuel economy is often something that they look at it's not their number one priority obviously but if you can get all this utility and get a hybrid with it as well they're going to do that I mean that's you know and, and that's where I think that Nissan really is missing out. So I'm surprised that they wouldn't have, especially you know their their competitive intelligence should have told them that you know key players in this segment were going to offer a hybrid. And so it's really a glaring omission in many ways. It wouldn't have been if you, just even just a few years ago with a good back.
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely something much more prominent now. And, you know, when you, when you look at the sales figures, you know, for the competitors you know, it's, it's not an insignificant take rate on these things.
1: Right. Well, and that's the thing is that, is that there may not be a lot of people that say, I want a hybrid CRV like that verbalize that. But then when they're shopping it, And they look and they're like, well, wow, I can get a hybrid version of this. Then that's going to be something that they're going to gravitate towards. And so and again, you know, if you when you're shopping in this, the mindset of this buyer is very practically practical oriented. So they put together one of those like comparison charts, you know, like a lot of websites will do for you. And this comes up in fuel economy. You see the difference in in fuel economy that's it's I think it's really going to be a disadvantage for them I think I think they're going to lose sales because of it
0: yeah um, well it'll it'll be interesting to see how this one does uh, you know it's not going to be out until later in the fall yeah. um, and uh, we'll 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 watch this one you know we'll see how how it does so one more product launched today came from Toyota Uh, actually from Lexus, uh, which was the the new 2021 Lexus IS. And uh, we actually just watched this reveal on uh, YouTube live uh, about an hour or so ago. What did you think?
1: Well, I went first on, on the rogue. So I think you should go first on this one.
0: Okay. (laughs) So remember what I said about the rogue looking familiar?
1: Yes.
0: This one really going to look familiar. (laughs) You you may, in fact, if you don't look closely you may have a hard time telling the difference between this and the current generation IS which is not a, not a bad thing you know uh, you know i like i like the IS i like the way it looks you know this one you know it's a very subtle from a design standpoint a very subtle update you know and it's a little more this time like the um, the Lexus RC yes. uh you, know, you got a little bit more a little more prominent shoulder, you know, in the rear quarters, uh, like the RC, and, uh, you know, the the rear glass, the rear roof line goes back, extends back almost to the, the rear edge of the deck lid, so there's a, an even shorter deck lid than there is on the current generation IS. Uh, it's still rear wheel drive, still basically the same size, the same wheelbase, it's about one inch longer overall, um, but, you know, you will immediately recognize this, you know, as an updated, it looks... From a design standpoint, externally, it looks more like a mid-cycle refresh than an all-new design. But you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it's a great-looking car, and I think it's you know, I personally i i like the size of the is. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, of really big cars. Um, you know, so i i like I like this the size, um, and it's launching um, as the i. Uh, initially as the IS-300 with the two liter uh, turbo four-cylinder and uh, the IS-350 with 3.5 liter uh, V6 that's also in the current generation IS. Um, And then there's going to be an F-Sport and presumably at some point maybe an ISF again, but we don't know
1: for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because The front looks exactly the same. I mean, you really have to look for stuff. Uh, I do like the rear tail lamps. I think they look cool. Again, I'm hoping that when you actually, when we get a chance to actually feel the car and run our hands over it and feel some of the lines that they were talking about, uh, that they'll be more visible. Because certainly, you know, online, on YouTube or whatever, it's not immediately apparent that this is a brand new vehicle. The design language is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You know, I'm just sitting here staring at it. And it looks exactly the same. I'm not kidding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you know, not that that's a bad thing. You no, know, it's not a bad just-
1: thing. But wow! I mean, it's really but, this. Is know, the, fun, the funny thing
0: was during the presentation, they did make a big deal out of the design. Yes. And I'm sitting here looking at it, you know, and I've got, I've got the video of the reveal going on one screen in front of me, and I'm looking at the the website, looking at pictures of the 2020 is, you know, on the other side. I'm looking back and forth. Um, okay. What, what's the big it's deal? Really,
1: it's like when people get a failed Botox you're like wait i don't see the difference i'm sorry (laughs) it's just i mean as you say it's a good looking car i'm sure it's a blast to drive especially if they you know give us some nice tuning but it's there's just there's not really a significant difference
0: um the interior had a, a more substantial upgrade though
1: well, the interior is beautiful. It does still have that stupid touch pad. I'm stealing your line from our message, but, um, no, the, but it also the, has a
0: touch screen. So you don't have to, presumably you don't have to use the touchpad.
1: Well, good. That makes me happy. Yeah, We won't go there. <laughs> no, I think the interior is gorgeous. I mean, they, they're showing it in black and red and I think it's, it's great looking. I personally, That's a personal preference. I prefer an integrated screen, but otherwise, you know, I I can't fault it. I think it looks
0: really nice. The You know, what I I thought was fascinating was during the presentation, and I went and looked at the press photos afterwards and it matched up. You know, they they talked about this new 10.3-inch touchscreen, and they talked about, and it's got Apple CarPlay and Android Auto Uh, and, you know, integrated uh, Amazon Alexa. And they never once showed, you know, they showed the the CarPlay screen. They showed the Android Auto screen. They never once showed the stock Lexus infotainment screen. Right. None of the images. There's one one image in the press kit that has just the Lexus boot up screen. But they never show the stock. uh, Why is that? um, My guess is because most people probably don't like it. I I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea how much it's changed. We can't tell because we haven't seen it. Um, you know, certainly the current gener, you know, any current generation Lexus, nobody, I don't know anybody who's a particular fan of the Lexus N form infotainment system. No, Um, it's horrible. Yeah. So, you know, I, I said, I don't know how much, if at all, they've changed it. Uh, it still has the touchpad, which nobody particularly likes either, um, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see when, you know, when they show us more detail, but uh, that, that was an interesting touch that they opted not to show us that, but show the other stuff.
1: Yeah, no, that is right. That's a good catch for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, it's, it's, I'll be very, very interested to see it in person because even looking at like the main picture, I'm not even picking up on some of the new stuff that he talked about with the belt line and stuff like that. It's really hard to discern online without looking at it, the body differences. Yeah, you know? it's, and, it's
0: definitely subtle. I mean, I think you can, if you look, you know, at the, at the fascia of the current one and the new one side by side, you can see, yeah. you know, there's a bit of reshaping of the spindle grill. You know, the bottom part of it is a little more rounded right. uh, rather than just, you know, straight trapezoidal. Um, and, you know, the outer portions of the fascia are, are a little bit different. But, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's very much, you know, an incremental update. Yes. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not a radical rethink of Lexus design language. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, of the current Lexus design language, you know, it's picked up a few details maybe from the, the LC coupe and the, the, the new LS. And, you know, that's a good thing. But, you know, it's, it's very much incremental.
1: It is, but you know what? We'll see how it looks in person and, you know, see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be, you know, it's, I mean, they've kept a lot of the heritage to it. It's still real with Jive, that 2.0 liter engine. So, you know, there's, it's, I think it'll still be a lot of fun to, to thrash around in.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it should be good. And, uh, they also released, uh, uh, Alexis AR play app, which we'll put a link to in the, uh, uh, in the, um, Show notes that uh you can I haven't I've downloaded it, but I haven't actually played with it yet to see uh you know, you can kind of walk around and check out the car in a little more detail. Um and they also they talked about uh you know, this is the first Lexus to debut the Lexus driving signature, uh, which it's not entirely clear what that is. Presumably it's kind of just the whole feel of the car. You know, this is kind of the direction they're going with Lexus, make it a little more sporty than before.
1: They need it. They need it. Yeah. I mean, they do. You know, they've been so dependent upon the baby boomers for so long. And they need to have something that pulls people in. Like sort of, you know, like we were talking about with the road, like give me a reason to buy this car. Especially with the declining demand for cars, you've got to give a consumer a good reason to buy this thing. And obviously the design language is not it you know the new because there's not enough of a difference so they've got to get something from the driving standpoint then that that pulls people in
0: yeah no absolutely so um well that's that's about it for now for the is that's you know you know the whole presentation was about 15 minutes and unlike you know traditional in-person presentations we haven't had a chance to walk around and poke around the interior or talk to the executives afterwards and and learn more about their thinking but uh, you know it's uh, you know I, I think it's uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about this one I, I think it'll be pretty good especially you know if they can uh, infuse it with some of the same kind of fun to drive that's in the LC in particular you know infuse yeah. that into this thing I mean the LC is so great to drive it uh, is yeah, you know, and this is a a, you know, a much you know at a much more accessible price point. You know, starting in the mid thirties, uh, right. you know that it it should be it should be a hoot.
1: Yeah, it will be. You know, one thing I did want to, and I I mentioned this to you earlier on Slack. Um, there, I one gener at least one generation ago, I think it was twenty sixteen, that I remember driving the is, and there was the bump out for the. For the transmission. Oh, maybe? in the footwell. In the footwell, yeah. And it was it was from it being was it uh, like from, on the
0: on the floor or on the so, side? So it
1: was on the side. Oh I, my knee kept hitting something. And then I looked and they had actually kept they kept the the so so when you sit in the driver's seat with the on the left hand side it, it kept hitting my right knee like where like more mm-hmm. like and it was, and they, somebody said it was because it was designed for right-hand drive and they basically just took the steering wheel and put it on left-hand side and they didn't move this bump, whatever it was causing this bump. So that's something that, again, like I, I will, when we get a chance to see the car, that's the first thing that I'll do is to look to see if they've done a full adaptation for this market and for, for left-hand drive.
0: Yeah, I, I don't remember that being an issue, but it's been a couple but, of years since I drove an IS. So. Yeah,
1: but you wouldn't have felt it like I did though, because my seat's up further. Oh, okay. So that was one of the things was that taller drivers, their um uh, their calf is is just is almost straighter and lower, mm-hmm. whereas mine would be like right at that point. So so taller drivers were much less apt to notice it than okay. somebody my size. So it'll be curious to see. Was, you know, they did a good out. job. Yeah, they did a good job with the online presentation, though. I it yeah, was no, it was, it it was well done.
0: done. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, unlike, I'm trying to remember, uh, what was it? Oh, the, it was the, uh, the Hyundai Elantra. Uh, the update, oh, I go they to did that the one. updated Hyundai Elantra one. If, yeah. This was very early on in the lockdown. This was in, in late March, or early April. Um, you know, Hyundai did their, they did an online reveal and they basically did, The presentation that they would do at a live event except it was you know it was in an empty studio and there was you know obviously no audience there right it was really weird and (laughs) you know so they were they were doing the same show they would have done at an auto show or you know at a at a at a media event but just with nobody there
1: yeah that's weird and
0: whereas this one you know they had Uh, A bunch of pre-recorded segments, and they they edited it all together. Um, You know, Ed Townsend Bell and Dave Christ from Lincoln uh, Lexus. Um, You know, Townsend Bell drives one of the Lexus R C S in the M C G T D class, and uh, so uh, you know, it it was it was well well executed this time around. But uh, I'll be curious. There's you know, we're going to be seeing a bunch of other ones. You know, last week for the Rogue, uh, Nissan just you know it was a media only one they just did a zoom call a video zoom call and did the presentation on there and uh ford's got a couple of uh reveals coming up over the next few weeks with the new f-150 the mm. next week or the week after weeks i don't know after. i haven't
1: got i didn't get an it's invite like,
0: to that That's on the 23rd of okay. uh, june and then the broncos coming up on july 9th right so uh, curious to see what they do with those two
1: for sure for yeah. sure all right cool uh,
0: all right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. And, uh, you know, keep tuning in and, and we'll have more more content for you.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun...